So as we, as we jump into Scripture this morning, I often say this to, to us, but I'm going to say it again, even if it's at, at nauseum. Um, turn off your little lawyer in your heart this morning. Um, sometimes we have this, this little lawyer that wants to stand up and object because it, it doesn't suit our preferences. Um, and so if, the, if you find your place in that, if you're, if you're feeling cynical, if you're feeling bitter, if you're, if you're feeling upset or frustrated with the world around you, and everything's not going exactly how you want, and you, you might be blaming God or blaming others, or you know, we'll wait and see kind of mentality, I want to encourage you this morning to quiet, to squash, to crush that bitterness in your heart this morning, and allow God to speak to you um, no matter where you are. Can we do that this morning? Before we even get into the Word, let's just pray. I just, there was just such a sweet sense of God's presence here this morning, and I would hate to just rush and do the thing that we're supposed to do, um, because that's what we do every Sunday. I, I think we just need to say, God, you're here, we acknowledge that, and will you have your way among us? So I'm just going to lead us in prayer. First of all, God, we, we, we just acknowledge that you're here with us. Even as we're, we're sitting, listening, singing, we know that your presence is here with us. And we just thank you for that. We thank you that you're, you're not a God who, who is far. You're not a God who cannot be known. You're not a God who cannot be experienced. That you're actually, your presence is here with us. We thank you for that. And I, and I, I pray for those of us who are struggling to know that this morning struggling to know your presence. Will you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will you come and will you turn hearts that are stone, will you turn them into flesh? Will you soften our hearts? Where our thoughts don't align with yours, sometimes, God, will you help us this morning to think like you, to be like you, to act like you, to long for you, to want more of who you are. And as John the baptizer said, less of me and more of you. I must decrease, and God, you must increase. And we, we just want that to be our prayer this morning. And so through the preaching of your word, through the ministering of your Holy Spirit, through the, the partaking in communion, through the singing in the sacraments of worship this morning, we ask that your presence would be known and felt, and that we'd experience you, and that you would change us this morning. Don't let us leave here the same that we came in. What's the point? And we ask this in the wonderful, the powerful, the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 14. Um, we're going through the book of Exodus, and um, we're just going to continue, continue. What, what we find today is one of the most climatic is that the way you say that? Climactic uh, portions of Scripture that you'll ever, you'll ever see. Often through Scripture, you, you see these climaxes, you know, uh, coming in wave. And this is one of the first times in Scripture where you see this epic climax. Uh, if, if it's like the, the pivotal point in the movie. Uh, it's like the gladiator, Spartacus. It's the, the Lord of the Rings moment. It's the Braveheart moment where William Wallace is standing in front of the army and saying, and dying in your beds many years from now, right? And everyone's like, yeah! 
It's, it's one of these moments that you see in the Bible. And what I love is that this isn't the only moment in Scripture. We see it over and over. And wouldn't it be fitting that this moment has to do with salvation? Wouldn't it be fitting that this moment has to do with God rescuing his people? It's not about one dude standing up and giving a charge. It's not about some some. Hum, human person being glorified or, or being made much of. It's about God showing and flexing and, and showing his superiority. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So Exodus chapter 14, verse 10, it says, well, well, well sorry, before we get there, let me, let me do this this morning. You ever watch like Lost or every show now that has like a series before you watch the current series, what do they do? They do this little recap, and it's always previously on Lost, right? Or previously on The Blacklist, or whatever it is, right? So we're going to do a little previously in Exodus, okay? You guys are right for that? Do a little previously. So here's what's happened. The nation of Israel has uh, been slaves under Egypt and been oppressed for 400 years. Uh, they moved to Egypt to escape famine, and Joseph was sold as a slave, and then uh, the, the nation of Israel moved there, and they, they all began to multiply and became numerous. But what they found that over the years, the leader of Egypt, the king of Egypt, forgets about Joseph, and he forgets about the Israelites, like where they come from in this relationship, and so he enslaves the, the Israel, Israel people. And they find themselves oppressed, and they're crying out to God. And God, in his love and his mercy and compassion, answers their cries with a leader, and he sends them a deliverer, Moses. And Moses confronts Pharaoh, and he does the Charlton Heston thing ten times. He says, Ramses, let my people go, right? <laughs> and, and Yul Brynner, you know, sits up on the throne, and he's like, no. Never. I'm never going to let you go. And so there's 10 times where Moses confronts Pharaoh and says, let my people go to, to worship our God, to worship the I am. And Pharaoh says, I don't know who this is I am. This I am is. And he says, who is this God that I should obey him? And God answers 10 times with 10 plagues and says, you want to know who I am? I'm greater than all of your gods. I'm greater than the God of your, the Nile. I'm greater than the gods that you worship of the sun. I'm greater than the gods of the fields where you get all your sustenance. I'm greater than the, the God of your cattle where you get your, mo your meats and all your steaks and your jerky and mm, your fajitas and your tacos. <laughs> I'm greater than all of those things. And I'm absolutely greater, not just than the gods of all these things that you worship, but I'm, I'm the God of life, and I'll show you by taking the firstborn. And Pharaoh finally can't handle it anymore, and he finally says, fine, go. He looks around, and Egypt is in total ruin. There's not, the Bible says there wasn't, uh, on, the, on the staff of the wheat, there wasn't a a piece of a kernel of wheat standing. Everything was broken. Every tree was broken down. The, the houses were beat down. The people were beat down. They had enough. And Pharaoh says, finally, you can get out of here. Go out of here. Get. I'm sick of you. And Israel says, yes, this is our moment. We can go. And if you've seen the movies, everyone's singing and dancing and playing the Old Testament, the lyre, the harp, the tambourine. Don't let me get off on the tambourine thing. Okay. And they're all rejoicing. 
And they're going out and they're saying, we did it. God did it. He brought us to this land. He's, he's taking us out to worship. We finally, this is our moment. And then we get to Exodus 14, 10. And Pharaoh says, what have I done? How are we going to rebuild this land? And this is what happens. When Pharaoh drew near to the people who already left Israel or Egypt, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, when we read Scripture, it's very helpful to use our imagination, okay? Not, not so that we can add to Scripture, not that we can add things that aren't there, but so that it comes alive in our minds, right? So just put yourself in this position for a moment. You are the nation of Israel. This is your like aha moment. You finally like, yes, we are on top. Ain't no stopping us now, right? They are excited about what is happening. And all of a sudden, they look and there's dust kind of like rumbling in the, like, what's going on there? And lo and behold, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of chariots coming full force at them. Now these aren't just, just warriors. These are angry warriors. Why? Every single one of these men have just lost their firstborn son. They aren't coming to cattle or corral the Israelites. They are coming with bloodlust. They are coming with revenge in their eyes. And all of a sudden, this moment of victory, the Israelites walking out, they think, this is our moment. They turn and they say, oh no, what is happening here? Ready to slaughter them. Let's, let's move on to Exodus Chapter 14, 11 through 12, this is what it says. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Now, let's just pause right there. What the heck is happening? Didn't they cry out to God for 400 years? Deliver us, God, rescue us, save us. This is too hard. Our, our children are being thrown into the rivers. Verse 12, is it not this, it is not this what we said to you in Egypt. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, we all laugh at that, right? And we go, oh my gosh, what a bunch of knuckleheads. I can't believe it. Here, here's a bunch of people who have seen God come through, not just like, hey, uh, can someone pray for me because I got a little, like, a boo-boo, you know, on my hand. And then, you're like, you're like, let's gather around him. Let's pray. And then we pray, and then, like, five, week, five weeks later, the boo-boo goes away, and we're like, God healed me, you know? Like, yes, he did heal you but he healed you through the common grace of him giving you the ability in your body to be healed. Or, you know, I, I asked for prayer. And it, this is not just kind of like where our, like our faith tries to make something bigger. This was you could not deny that God was absolutely moving among them. 
Fire is falling from the sky. <laughs> Darkness in the middle of the day, pitch black. In the Egyptian side, beautiful sunlight on Goshen Israelite side. Pitch black where they were wandering around in their homes, lighting candles. Still, the, the candle was consumed by the darkness. There was zero doubt that God was for them and among them. And here they come out of, out of Egypt, and what, what's the first thing they do when they see trouble? We Have you brought us out of Egypt? Because, sarcastically, there weren't enough graves there? Now, we all want to punish these people, right? We're like, what a bunch of knuckleheads. You ever, you ever like, realize that you need to disciple your children on Christmas morning? <laughs> your parents are laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. So your kids open up the gift. Oh, is this it? Uh, this isn't really what I wanted. This isn't, this isn't the right model. Can we take it back? I'll show you we'll take it back. How about we grab all your stuff and we'll take it all back, right? You don't want that? Okay, here's the receipt. You, I don't have a license. I don't care. You figure it out and you get back to the store. Let's burn all your things in the yard. <laughs> Discipleship. And, and we, we want to punish people who are, who are ungrateful. We want to punish people who one moment we, they're, they're boasting about how God has saved them or God has healed them or God has come through financially or God has healed some relationship. And then next week, what do they do? They're like, oh, my life's so hard. Where is God? And we go, what the heck? But you know what the truth is? You and me are Israel. We do the same thing. We grumble when we see problems happening. Because it's so, we're so quick to forget who our God is. Now, what should God's response be to Israel in this moment? If you're anything like me, <laughs> you're like, well, I'll show you. All right. I'll fulfill your prophecy. You want to complain? What do we say to our kids? You want something to complain about? I'll give you something to complain about, right? How does God respond? Look at verses 13 through 14. Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. What? See, that's grace. And, and what I want to convey to us, big, if you're taking notes, big point number one this morning is salvation is grace. It is not merited favor. It is not earned. There is nothing that you or I can do to earn God's salvation. Zero. Now, you've probably heard that a million times. 
But some of us in this room, including myself, my heart tends to believe what religion says. Religion says that if I do all these good things, God will be happy with me. But the gospel says there's nothing I can do to earn salvation. Nothing. Even when I grumble, even when, Kelly, you're saying, even when God comes through and then I grumble, you mean God won't turn his back on me? Even when you grumble, even when you're unfaithful, God is faithful. I've heard somebody say, if salvation could be, if you could lose your salvation, you would. What do they mean by that? If you could, if you could lose your salvation, you would. That's, that means that if salvation was based on our works, if salvation, if I somehow impressed God enough where he was like, whoa, that dude right there. Check him out. Hey, Gabriel, Michael, Moses, Elijah, David, all, you know, all that. Check it out. Look at Kelly. That dude right there. I think, I think he's earned it. What do you guys think? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yep. I, all right. Let's, let's, go, let's go save him because he's like shining a little bit brighter than anyone else. That is religion. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is man work based, pleasing God. But I drift toward there. Sometimes when I, don't you, when I have a particularly morally good week, <laughs> I feel way more emboldened to pray to God. I feel way more emboldened to ask God. I feel way more emboldened to lead my wife and my family when I feel like I've, man, I've done pretty well this week. But when I've had a not so particularly well moral week, my tendency to approach God is tail between the legs. It is like, God, I know I did this. And it's because somehow in my mind, I think I earned this right to come to God. I earned the right that he poured out his grace in my life. And salvation doesn't work that way. No matter how much we grumble, if God saves us in his mercy and grace, he saves us. And it's in spite of us not being particularly morally good people. You could do all the things you want. You could try and try and try, but it's futile. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. I just realized I didn't start my timer, so you're welcome. So, why did God bring Israel to this place? Now, here's the question. If you were to go back and read some of this, you see that God specifically moves Israel in this route. There was, there was a war going on. The easier route, the, the physically easier route to get to this place, there, but there was a war happening, and God says, well, lest they see that there's a war and get, get discouraged, I'm not going to take them this way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring them to this place. And if you know anything about what's happening here, Israel now is encamped with the Red Sea behind them, a giant, big old body of water. And in front of them is just this wasteland of desert 
There's nowhere to go. And God says, all right, Moses, lead the people right here. Now, if we believe that God is omnipotent and omniscient, he knows all things, why in the world would God lead them to encamp in a place where there's really no escape? Can you imagine all the, the Israelites, they, they kind of, they're setting up camp. They're like, this is awesome. I mean, I was just at men's getaway. We were up at, in, the mount, in the desert mountains. It was 97 degrees, intense. There were flies. There was no water. And all I wanted to do was just like, ah, put some water on me. <laughs> it was hot. But the Israelites just said, man, look at, we got this ocean behind us. There's going to be fish, and there's going to be all this food that we're going to give her. We're going to be able to bathe. And then there's, there's the sun over there, and there's the cool over here. And then, there, there are, you know, if they, they left Israel, and they had all the, or they left Egypt, and they had all the gold and the silver and all the clothes and, and all the cattle and everything, and they're probably sitting around and like, show me your gold. And like, no, show me your gold. And like, well, check this out. This one's got Pharaoh's face on it, mm, you know, doing all these kind of things. They're making all these jokes. Well, look at this tunic I'm wearing. You know, this was Pharaoh's. I don't know what they were doing. That's conjecture, right? That's probably not happening. But they're all excited, and all of a sudden, they look up, and like, there's dust on the horizon. The sound of the trumpet of the, the marching chariots are coming down. They feel the rumble, and they're like, oh, my God, why did you bring us here? We're going to die. We can't go anywhere. And if we're speaking about salvation, the beauty about salvation is not that it's not not only is it not earned, but it's through the power of God. It's through his miraculous leading. It's impossible in our own strength to save ourselves from sin. And God intentionally leads Israel to this place where only he can show up or death. Is that fair? I don't know. God's getting the glory. God will show himself strong again. Because when we doubt, see, the option that you and I have sometimes is that sometimes we think we can save ourselves. Sometimes we look at our circumstances in life and go, I can figure this out. What do you do when the plane is crashing? Who do you cry out to when you are in absolute, desperate need? Even if you, even the atheist, when the plane's going down, goes, oh, God! And that is what God is doing with the nation here. He's putting them in an impossible situation because he wants them to see that he is their only hope. I don't know about you, but if you were to use your imagination again, you're back up against the Red Sea, this marching army, not really marching, but hurling as fast as they can with chariots coming at you. And all of a sudden, the sea splits. Now that is awesome, but that is terrifying. And sometimes even when God reveals his way of salvation in our lives, it's terrifying because it means that we have to surrender to his ways. See, the easier route 
If, if, some of us would have been, if you were to have this 30,000 foot view of the encamped Israelites like little ants, and you would see the ocean, and you would see the marching armies coming this way, a lot of us might have the temptation to when the sea splits, and Moses says, don't worry, go through it. You're like, no, I don't think so. And then you, you start seeing these guys run along the side of the ocean, because this over here is scary too. The sea splitting, that's, what, if, what if when I get in there, what if God decides all of a sudden, or he, he forgets about me, I'm like the last guy, and he forgets, and all of a sudden, the ocean starts coming down on me. Hmm. What if I'm the dude, you know, who, who's kind of in the middle? I, I, I don't know. What you, all these kind of thoughts go run through your mind. Yes, I know you said go through that, but that doesn't look safe. And in salvation, what God is asking us to do, he's saying, I'm the only way to true salvation. I'm the only way. You can't save yourselves. Ultimately, you might be able to run from the sin. You might be able to run from the battle. You may be able to run from hardship. You may be able to run from your problem for a moment. But in the end, you have no power to save yourself. It's only the power of God. And what I want to tell us this morning, guys, salvation is by God and God alone. God is the author of salvation. He is the initiator of salvation. Yes, even in spite of our sin. Yes, even in spite of our grumbling. Yes, even in spite of us not deserving it. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, this is quite a lengthy portion of Scripture. We're going to read it anyway. I think it serves us well. 1 through 9, it says this. And you, speaking of you, Chino, me, Kelly, all of us together, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which means the, the enemy's leading, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What does that mean, children of wrath? That means that a holy God who cannot accept sin, his wrath was going to be poured out upon us because of our sin. We were children under wrath. Look at verse 4. Some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ, with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Lest any one of us here this morning think that we somehow came to the realization in our own self that we needed saving, let me tell you that Scripture says quite the opposite. 
Every single one of us here who is a professing Christian, who has come to a faith in Christ, who has put their hope and faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, did not do it because you were such a good person and you realized that you were a sinner. It happened because God first took the first step. God in his initiation, even in spite of your sin, came to you in your current status and gave you the gift of grace through salvation. And so when we say, oh, I'm going to try to figure it out. Oh, I can run along the banks and avoid that thing that's happening. I don't know if that's going to come crashing down on me. And I can avoid that for a while. I'm going to, like, do it in my own strength. And I'm going to save myself because I recognize I'm in trouble. Let me tell you, you are believing a lie this morning. It is only through God's initiating. And the very fact that I'm standing here, maybe some of us here this morning are saying, well, God's never initiated in my life. God's never come to me. My life's a mess. I, I've, I've, I've looked all the, you know, I've asked God, I've got I'm going to tell you that this morning, the very fact that you are sitting here among us this morning, the very fact that you're hearing the, the, the preaching of the word is the grace of God to you. The very fact that God loves you enough that by his divine orchestration you are sitting in a chair this morning hearing the message of salvation that God loves you, that there's nothing that you can do to earn it, is the fact that he's answering you this morning. The question is, are you going to run along the sides of the banks? Are you going to try to fight Pharaoh yourself? Or are you going to turn and say, God... I see your way of salvation. It's pretty scary. That's bigger than me. But what I'm doing is I'm surrendering to you. And I'll say yes. Oh my gosh. We're so much out of time. What do I skip? Turn to Exodus 14, 26 to 31. Israel marches through the Red Sea. God, stand, God tells Moses to stretch out his hand with his staff. You've seen it in the movies. All of a sudden, the strong wind comes and divides the ocean. And it says that they march through on dry land. Every single Israelite comes through on the other side. And this is what happens in the end. 26 to 31 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, because now the Egyptians are, 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 are pursuing Israel, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as, as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Verse 30, the, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Just keep that in your mind there for a second. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, servant Moses. Let me just read that verse 30 again. 
Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Now here, here's what I want to say to us this morning. Here's how we know whether we are trusting God. Here's how we know whether we've accepted God's salvation in our lives. When you cross the other side, when you come through, whatever that is, say you've gone through some traumatic thing in your life and you're like, man, I made it. When it's in our own strength, we don't look back and we don't see our enemies laying decimated on the ground. What we see is our pound of flesh that we gave in that battle. What we see is our own efforts failing miserably. What we see is frustration. What we see is shame. What we see is, maybe it's arrogance. You came through the other side and you're like, man, I'm awesome. But in all three of those scenarios, none of those are dead Egyptians laying on the seashore. See, when we trust in our own salvation, we look back and we go, holy cow, I just fought the fight of my life. And I came through pretty bruised up and battered. And I need, I need some help. I'm pretty beat up. I'm pretty, I'm pretty messed up. That, that, that did some things to my thinking. That, that, that ruined some relationships. That, that destroyed my, my, my faith in humanity. But see, when we trust in the Lord's salvation and we come through and we say, you know, all I had to do was stand and be still. All I had to do was trust and watch God work on my behalf. And you know what the result was? The result was not me becoming arrogant and thinking, wow, I'm the man. The result was not be becoming frustrated with my own inadequacies because I realized through the middle of it I couldn't do this. And the result was not me feeling shame because all these people were judging me and saying, oh, who do you think you are? You're trying the result was me looking back and saying, I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do was put my hope and faith in God and be obedient when he told me to walk through something that looked pretty scary. And all I had to do was trust. And when I got to the other side, God in his power, God in his love, God in his mercy, God in his sovereignty, God in his gift of salvation wiped away my enemies. And our enemies, folks, is sin and Satan. And my, my message to you is, when you trust in God's salvation, he will decimate the power of sin and he will decimate the power of Satan in our lives. Why does he lead us into that way? Because he knows that you and I, it's a battle that we cannot win. It's a battle that we cannot fight. It's a battle that all we have to do is follow his voice. Stand, be silent, watch the Lord do the work. Now, let me just bring this into what it means for us this morning in salvation. It always comes back to Christ. I love this picture of Moses stretching out his hands. And then you see this divide happen. This access to salvation. This access to getting away from the enemies. This access to a safe place. Who does that remind you of in Scripture? It's Jesus. 
See, Jesus stretched out his hands on the cross. And as he did that, there was this thick, like five, six inch velvet veil in a temple. And behind that veil was the presence of God. And no one could get to the presence of God unless you were perfect. Unless you had done all these things to make you perfect with God, which is impossible. And so this veil stood there representing the separation between man and God. And just like Israel, this separation between us and this promised land, how are we going to get there? Only something supernatural can make this happen for me. And for us, when Jesus put his arms on the cross and spread them out, the veil in the temple that separated us, you and me, those people at that time from the presence of God, what happened? It tore straight down the middle. You ever see the power team rip, got, rip these phone booths in, in half with their hands? They got nothing on what God did in that moment. Direct access to salvation. Direct access to the presence of God. Direct access to us saying, I don't have to fight these battles anymore in my own strength that I'm going to continue to lose over and over again. It's been made for me. The way has been made for me. I have direct access now. And all we have to do is trust Stand firm and watch the enemies, sin and Satan, be crushed under the heel that was bruised. That's good news, the gospel. Will you stand with me this morning?